I truly believe my weirdness is my superpower because I don't have to fucking compete with anybody. I don't want to compete with yeah. you niggas. I don't want to compete with right. people. Like, art is not supposed to be competitive. And I feel like I've gotten in this business and more people are competitive. And I get it to a certain degree, but it truly is just, I'll just say it's not for me. Like, cool, do you? But it just, it makes me sad. I'm Charlotte Larston. I've been a TV writer for almost a decade, but it wasn't that long ago that quitting my day job and moving to Hollywood was nothing but a pipe dream. After lots of failures, many mistakes, and many lessons learned, I've now written for seven TV shows, two features, and sold three TV pilots. I've done all this through imposter syndrome, burnout, and with zero roadmap. On the Working Writer Podcast, I pull back the curtain on breaking in and teach screenwriters and creatives how to thrive both personally and professionally. Without further ado, let's get to work. What's up? Welcome to another episode of the Working Writer Podcast. Thank you so much for joining me once again. I appreciate you for being here. Thank you so much. Oh, thank you. Um, I'm losing it today. All right. Welcome to another episode of the Working Writer Podcast. Thank you so much for joining me once again. I appreciate you being here. My guest today is Jordan Temple. Uh, Jordan is kind of a superstar. He's worked on... The Marvelous Mrs. Maisel, Atlanta, and he currently staffs on Abbott Elementary. This episode is jam-packed with a lot of really great gems. And more than anything, we really get to know Jordan in this episode. And that was the funnest thing, at least for me, about it. I hope you get a lot out of it, and I hope you enjoy it. Without any further ado, here's my episode with Jordan Temple. Jordan Temple. (laughs) Welcome to the podcast. What up? Thanks for having me. I'm so excited to have you, Jordan. You're one of my absolute faves. I don't know if you know that. Just as a homie. I appreciate that. You're welcome. It's 100% true. So I want to start by asking you so that we can get to know you a little bit where you're from how you grew up, and how you made your way into writing. I'm from Queens, New York. I was raised by some fucking hoodlums in in an alley. In an alley, man. My mother is a gun. My father's a crack pipe. I was raised in the projects. Fuck, man. I don't know how I made it out. I don't know. Oh, wow. You know, I found myself in Hollywood not too long after that. You know, my my mom has always been like a like a, <clears throat> kind of an artsy person, um, multi instrumentalist, like the most <clears throat> talented person I know. Composed stuff. She 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 worked for Hunter College for a numbers number of years as an administrative assistant, uh, single mom, and then like um, <clears throat> my brother. It's a very talented person also in his own right. And um my mom always had like a bookshelf in the crib right when you open up and well, you know, always pushed us to get out, see things outside of the hood and didn't have like a stereotypical upbringing in the sense of that. I mean, a lot of a lot of people stereotype 
the projects, but pe- people live there. There's all kinds of people that live right. there. So most, some of the most talented people on the planet um, come out of New York City Housing Authority, famous or not. Um, and um, yeah, that's uh, what I think is uh, was a, a nurturing environment um, for creativity. My my mother was that, um, and uh, my father. He did what he did. He knows what he did. Did you always have this kind of? Did you always kind of like venerate the projects like this because of the because of the way that it's portrayed, or was it something that you came to see after leaving? I always kind of felt like that because I I knew what my experience was and and the people that lived there. I mean, I definitely had harrowing, dangerous times there. Um, things I wouldn't mm-hmm. wish on my own worst enemy. Um, but you know, mm-hmm. it gives it's it's all character building. Everything is character building, right? Um, so yeah, uh, much different upbringing uh, than a typical TV writer because I never this is never my dream to work in Hollywood. I didn't, I didn't, I never made this a goal or was or was super nerdy about tv or film or anything like that uh, that that wasn't what i was into i had a, a what were you into then other interest in other jobs um i thought i was gonna work in front office of a baseball uh team um Get I out. Was, yeah i was um working in the production department at shea stadium where the mets used to play um in the 2010s uh early or pre twenty ten um and um i was uh, i was an intern um in my early twenties um and um uh, my my principal's son was one of the head producers over there and so i you know i learned to edit skills i do not have today but um i learned a lot and <laughs> um a big baseball fan uh, and and nerd even bigger back then. So, uh, I kept like a baseball encyclopedia and kept like track of games with a scorecard, which is like a shorthand for scoring games. And you know, I watched a lot of baseball, followed baseball. I wanted to be a firefighter at some point. I got up to like two hundred five. For reference, I'm one eighty five now. <clears throat> so. <laughs> I, you know, uh, when they were like, oh, leaving black people off of, uh, you know, like firefighter teams or whatever, and like how we conducted these tests is actually racist because, you know, we we left them out and, you know, they, they aren't able to get legacy points that fast. So they, they reissued the test and a lot more black people took the firefighter exam um, and I ended up scoring really high but there was such a high yield of high scores that i it, it wasn't competitive and i was like damn i put on all this muscle weight for nothing it was for the hose but you know what i mean like it didn't end up meaning right anything. right right <clears throat> um i can't believe that you uh becoming a firefighter was harder than becoming a tv writer essentially for you yeah no definitely, definitely that's interesting <clears throat> Yeah, I wanted to be a firefighter. I was also like working in the Bronx, um, 
at the same time I was going to school, I was I stopped out of school and uh did uh for community college I you know, I did this program called like AmeriCorps program called Green City Force where it was like a green job and we'll do one week on doing a program and doing physical manual labor and then an, another week on doing like weatherization so people need like, you know, their homes stuff with insulation and stuff. I learned how to like spray that into the <clears throat> cavity of a home and the you know, then the test the the BMI or not BMI. <laughs> That's body mass index. Uh, <laughs> uh whatever the you know, the building code, whatever shit to see like something is insulated or whatever. Lead programs and all that shit. And then like I had like a, a job out of that and then I was going to school and then I started improv. Um and then I started stand up. Where? I started stand up. Where'd you do improv? Oh, UCB for like a year and a half. Oh, okay. I like paid for one on one because I had like a pretty decent job at the time. Mm -hmm. Um and then I wrote a essay scholarship for diversity because we need they're like, we need more of this. I was like, what's this? Right. They were like, you. And then um yeah. I was like, I was like, cool. I was like, cool. Why do you give me that money? I'll do crazy eights with you. Um, and then I love it. Yeah, that for a while, and I started stand up. And uh, yeah, like <clears throat> it moved pretty quickly for me. Even you know, like you know, I was living at home in the projects with my mom. It never felt like it could move faster. But uh, right. about three years in, I, I moved out. Um, and then like. I I got my first writing job like four years into starting stand up. Like that's super fast, Jordan. Like twenty seventeen, and I've been a TV writer ever since for like a good six years. I haven't had a break from a TV writing job longer than three months for like the past six years. Um, I also that's amazing. I wrote a like a play that was on like on a whim called Hidden Fences where mm-hmm. you know that that viral mistake where they conflated two black movies at the Oscars and stuff and Golden Globes like, right Hidden Fences and you know they call it Hidden Fences Hidden Figures and Fences they made it's one movie Hidden Figures yeah <laughs> so I, I made, yeah I made that an actual play where I was a mashup right. where Troy from Fences he wants to be the first black man to hit a baseball in the space and the hidden figures do the math and help get there. And I played, I cast it myself. I wrote it myself. I had, and then I played the Troy Denzel Washington part. And I also had like my buddy Langston Kerman do like his black history facts things. And he was like the master of ceremonies and Nori and Janelle opened almost every show and had standups on. And, you know, like it, it really, it was yeah. a song little moment like i got a lot of write-ups and stuff and packed out yeah i remember yeah it was it was a nice little moment also followed that up and did like my own thing another mashup called the color urkel which was fucking ridiculous that was like my us you know if we're using jordan that was like (laughs) you know hidden fences was uh was um get out and and color right was was us um 
But yeah. Was uh, Hidden Fences what got you your first writing job? It definitely helped, actually. Mm -hmm. um, my boy, um, Kevin Barnett, rest in peace. It's actually been five years since that. That makes me feel old as fuck. Yeah. Since, I saw you post about it today. today. Yeah, literally today. It's insane. So he, he recommended me, uh, rest his soul, to, uh, was a champion for me um, for my first writing job. And I had like three interviews where I was just like losing my mind, pitching, being like, fuck, I got to get this goddamn job or I'm, well, yeah. <laughs> but, like, and then I literally had to move in a fucking day. And it yeah. Was a, it was a real crazy day for my mom. Like, I I got that job the same day my niece was born two months premature. Huh. Um, and she's six now. And I think about my writing career. And, I mean, I guess this, this is not the start of my career, but in a lot of ways, yeah, it is not. I look at this little girl, sweet, precocious, <clears throat> smart, like, and I think about it. I think of her in terms of her, but it also reminds me of just, like, my burgeoning career of, like, how I've kind of just started a little bit. Like, literally, yeah. her starting out in her life, how, you know, uh, tumultuous that was. And also reminds me, like, damn, like, <clears throat> she's the embodiment of that a little bit. Or just a reminder to me being, like. Yeah, I haven't. I'm just starting out in this shit. You know what I mean? That's really beautiful. Does it feel like you're not? Uh, does it feel like you uh, forget that sometimes or something? That like you're just starting out? Um. No, nah, yeah, definitely do. I'm still like youngish, and I I think it's just. Uh, the New York City of it all. Like, if I'd been born somewhere else instead of New York, maybe I'd feel um, a little less tired, like, in my soul. Yeah. Like, I, you know, like I, you know, I see so many people move there with already some heat, and, and, like, maybe they're, like, older, they have connections, or maybe they just move with a group, and I'm just like, yeah, I don't have that. You know what I mean? I I just fucking I live here. Fuck. You know what I mean? So Yeah. Yeah. Um what was that first writing job? Mm some showtime show that I don't want to talk about. Okay. <laughs> you don't yeah. even say it? No uh, way. Nah, I'm good. Nah. <laughs> All right, I love it. You won't even give him the benefit of, shout, of a shout out. Nah, no shout out. Wow. No. Damn. No handouts over here. It was all right. Damn. It was whatever. It was an experience. It's, you know, that's always the, yeah, yeah. The 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 learned uh, political way to say something low key suck. It, it was sucked, a learning yeah. experience. I get that. Yeah, it was a learning experience. <laughs> no, but it it was though. It was a it was a learning experience. Yeah, but, you know. Yeah, yeah. I mean that for those uh, those first jobs. I don't know if it's because because I also did not come from a background where I thought I was going to be a TV writer, and I don't know if it's because I came from that background that made that first job so hard. Because like when I looked around, other people that 
even if they, it was their first writing job, they just seemed more comfortable than I was, you know? So yeah. I don't know if it was like, uh, I, I don't know if it's like, because I was a diversity hire that I, I learned later uh, for my first job. And um, it definitely, they definitely made me feel that way. And I don't know if that's something that, uh, I definitely think that affected the experience on the job. Um, what was your first but job? I also won't. <laughs> I also will not. Um, Hilarious. But, <laughs> but it definitely just felt like, um, you know, they don't really set up the, they don't set it up for people who don't know the world, I think. And I think it's really, you know, as much as possible, if you can get some information before, just to manage your expectations about what to expect. I think even that I didn't know or understand. So that I think that really made the first job really hard. But mm-hmm. um, you've been in some of the most successful writers' rooms in Hollywood, Jordan. Like, you know, not for nothing, despite the fact that the first one wasn't amazing, You've been in Marvelous Mrs. Meisel. You've been in rooms that have won awards. You've been in Atlanta. Now you're in uh, Abbott, which just won some Emmys. So have you noticed anything consistent about the way that these super successful writers' rooms are run? I mean, they just, they know who they are. (laughs) I mean, uh immediately well in this in the sense of Maisel in atlanta so vastly different um but i worked in the seasons three and four of them as opposed to abbott mm-hmm. i'm on season three now and i've been on since there since season one the major difference between those shows is like abbott is uh using a formula we've seen before whereas um even though it's different different spin on a you know, familiar twists, um, which I think is a little bit not easier, but uh, maybe easier to digest um, in some ways in the mockumentary style and bringing back that and making it fresh um, and making it real um, and it just working, you know, it is, there's a, there's a real um, good feeling when you, you you watch Abbott. Uh, the way <clears throat> that Atlanta and Maisel are vastly different is they are um they're dealing with the entertainment business, two different sides of it, and, and following managers and their talent. <clears throat> and they're made by um, you know, people who've worked deeply in that business. Um, between or or have the experience from someone like Amy Schumer Palladino's father, you know, was a comic who would open for, you know, black acts and, you know, was in the business and, you know, she got to see that and hear stories and Jewish culture and New York City and, you know, the the period piece of it all. And Atlanta um, is uh, very much based on Donald's own experience and um those shows are um almost to me like legacy shows because they came after they both of those creators are 
very established in the business. Like at, Atlanta almost didn't get made and Donald was already super famous. <laughs> yeah. And, and, uh, that's crazy. You know, and then, and then, you know, Maisel was the show that Amy Sherman did when she had already had Gilmore Girls. Um, so those shows are, they, they were going for different things, um, and are also much darker than, than, you know, a, a broadcast sitcom would be. They're, they're not sitcoms. Right, right, right. Sitcoms are something, you know, Q dollars brought back seemingly single-handedly. So they're, they're much much, different. yeah. Yeah. So, you know, it's, uh. Vastly different, <clears throat> vastly different. They couldn't be more different from each other. Uh, to have written are the writers the- are the writers' rooms vastly different? Definitely, the where people are coming from mm-hmm. is vastly different. Like Maisel writers, there were a couple of playwrights, and you know, older people, people with families, people who had things going, like in production, like um. Daniel Goldfarb, one of the writers on Maisel, also wrote that show, uh, created that show, Julia, um, uh, you know, about the the TV cook lady. Mm-hmm. And, Julia um, Childs, yeah. Mm-hmm. Julia Childs, yeah. And um, so, and then, <clears throat> um, you know, Atlanta, and, and, and there were some comics in there, too. Um, Shout out Noah and Allison were in there as well. And then uh, Atlanta were people that also weren't like traditional TV writers um, as well. Uh, come Came from different areas and kind of Atlanta was their first job. And Abbott has some of the no same people where like Abbott is one of their first jobs and, um, you know, but I think they've always been trending towards and wanted to be TV writers. So, you know, it's, it's a mixed bag. It's, it's interesting how everybody kind of gets there because, you know, I feel like I have similarities with, with all three of those uh, kind of people who are in these rooms. They're all, you know, talented and uh, smart in their own right. Just very much everyone has their different path, you know. Absolutely. Yeah. I'm dying to ask you about your Atlanta episode. Uh-huh. Um when we I'll, we're going to take a quick break and when we come back I'm going to we'll jump into that. And we're back. So, <laughs> I can't even remember the name of this episode, Trini but I think it was like Trini Trini to the bone. <laughs> that season of Atlanta was very wild anyway, you know, so it was like things were happening that were not we're not linear. We're not linear. Like you didn't see a lot of the same characters in mm. that s- season and things like that. How, but at the same time, like when I saw that it was written by, uh, by you, I don't even know if I knew you were writing on the show at that point, but I, I was like, that had a lot of Jordan DNA all over it. Mm-hmm. Um, is that accurate? Like how did that episode come to be? And to have so much Jordan DNA. Um, 
Well, it was a story I believe was taken from one of the EPs, uh, Paul Sims. And so Paul is like an OG. He also, you know, one of the EPs of What We Do in the Shadows and helped get Atlanta made to begin with. Like, um, I've talked to him briefly, but he's 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 really cool and um you know, I guess this is just a story he had that Donald remembered and you know, Donald said it in New York and you know, I'm from New York and so I was really excited to get on this and um <clears throat> like I, I asked I mean in addition to having like a Trini person who was like there for the references and you know looked at the script once there was a writer's draft uh you know i before that um spoke to a friend of mine's uncle who's trini and i asked him certain things about you know the doubles and you know what's his favorite song i think that's how we got to trini to the bone and we it was very much in line with uh the thesis at the top of the show in the boat where we were basically talking about how white people are cursed by their own racism and so you know i i definitely had my my own touches um in that episode that uh, you know i wanted to make it feel like me is a good amount of you know absurd kind of absurdism which i like and also like some subtlety there's also obviously from the uh episode you can tell like because donald also directed it that um it just it moves very slow it's like not in a rush that has a lot of restraint it's one of the things that uh stephen glover uh donald's brother who's one of the eps said he's like you know a lot of people think like oh yeah make a show about it like atlanta you know like they don't know what atlanta is about it's like one of the things that atlanta tries to do um and really is about is about restraint like we could do be doing a million things but it's really about what you don't do which speaks more to what um the show is because the more what you don't do makes people pay attention (laughs) and you don't just do it because people on the internet are trying to sway you or you want to make a big splash you know you pick your spots so I think that's what that episode especially did. And uh, it, was, it was fun to write and uh, to watch. I waited a long-ass time for that shit to come out. And when I when I finally got a cut, I watched that shit a million times. So, Damn. That's very cool. Um, what you said about Atlanta, it's more about what you don't do. That's really brilliant, one. And it makes me really curious about, like, uh, you said you worked on season three and four, and that uh, at the top of the season for Turning to the Bone, the thesis was that white people are cursed by their own racism. Like, how does that start? Like, how does the Atlanta writer's room start? I mean, how does it work, specifically? How does it work? I don't know. I don't know. (laughs) Is it that you guys come up with the thesis for the season together, or is it something that he came, in, he... With that. He came mm-hmm. in with that, and he 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 wrote on the board, "Do what others can't," 
and right. then and then he said this season is about white people that's what he said and i was like okay and i was almost i was pretty much terrified every day charla i was what like what can't others do it's like i know but i kind of just want to hear you articulate it i um yeah i was so i was so intimidated uh not just by the writers per se but you know donald He's like yeah. my only, the only person in this business I look up to. Um, oh, damn. He's the only person in this business I look up to. He's the only Why model. Is it, did you look up to him before you worked for him yes. or uh, <clears throat> after? Absolutely. Okay. Definitely, mm-hmm. definitely. Definitely when Atlanta came out, I was like, okay. And, and, and my, yeah. play, my play was really popping at around the time season two came out. And I was like... Mm-hmm. I was like, man, I was like, this feels like in the zeitgeist similar to that. And I, and I felt, yeah, I don't know. I just, you know, I just always look up to the man. I, I, I think Donald is, is a truly uh, an artist and I consider myself an artist and, you know, I, I think it's all, uh, I, 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 I like the way he thinks. I like that he, challenges himself i like that he even says the wrong thing i like that he's a human being and he's he's a he's a real person you know i love the man what was the i love that you love him what was the room like like was he in the room every day like was it a regular schedule kind of thing he was in there frequently and then he'd go downstairs sometime because it was a recording studio downstairs and he'd um be making music so we'd be like pitching sometimes and then like daniel kalua would come over for some reason and then we mm-hmm. hear, the, <laughs> hear the recording studio open or uh do you see it hear the recording studio door open and it'll be like it's fucked up get out the way and i'll be like what and then oh, it closed and be like so Let's see, what do you what do we see uh Paperboy doing this season? <laughs> like like what? <laughs> like where am I? It just felt like uh he's likened himself like uh or either either comparing himself or or looking up to like Willy Wonka. That's like the only person he's like like and I think he's he very much has his 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 chocolate factory, you know? Yeah. Uh, Donald yeah. like he, definitely has like a Willy Wonka um sensibility everything goes a lot of experimentation Damn. but also like a lot of intention yeah Damn I love it I feel like I, I love missed it. a question you know, um, something. I mean I just asked like if it was like a regular day but it kind of sounds like it wasn't it sounds like it was very nah experimental and random yeah no it was wild i mean it would be like we'd watch random videos and we'd find a way to put story around it and we mm-hmm. clip little pieces of internet zeitgeisty shit and put it into the spirit of the show and be like this is the direction we're going or I saw this, or I heard this, or I experienced this, or this is a a tour story, and 
this is uh, something happened to us on the road. Or his music manager would come in and be like, remember the time? And then we kind of all build around several stories and then pick one and then find a direction and just try to weave around and, and, and bring it back to the characters <clears throat> or not. Cause you know, once, you know, we had to do season three and four in, in six months and then the pandemic hit. So it was, it was a lot, it was a lot of work. It was a lot. It was very mind breaking sometime. I, I, yeah. I, what time would you usually get out of there? Like 4.30. That's not bad. Five. Yeah, we That's not bad. That's a regular 10, day. 10 to 4.30, yeah. Regular ass day. Yeah. Well. Was, yeah. How have you changed as a person in these six years since hidden fences and writing Ooh. for these shows man i don't know there's a part of me that feels like i used to be more optimistic i think i used to uh, i i'm not sure if i thought i'd still be writing i, I don't mind being a tv writer um yeah i i, I thought maybe uh, you know, because I was writing, I, I, I didn't have a chance to build out my play more. I, I definitely still want to go back to play writing in different things. I, I, um, you know, I very much consider myself a maker. So, you know, opposite of your question, but I, I think that's how I've kind of stayed the same. Um, and and I'm thinking about angles and, and ways to challenge myself creatively. So I don't. I didn't get in this to to um, have a job. Uh, there's things I'll do. No one has to pay me. No one has to do anything. And it's not just scripts. Like I think that's good. It's but like uh, post strike, post double strike. There's so few things getting made that um, yeah. outlook for writing a script and no one seeing it. And you know, or just doing it for my versus doing it for myself is is much more valuable if I am going to do it. So I, you know, I'd like to do more shorts, and uh, you know, I have to write more shorts. Get to the point where I build up enough skills and and, and have a, le- a lot less fear and a lot more time, where I'm you know, consistently writing uh, my own shorts and directing them and and starring in them. And and um, I think I've I've the ways I've changed is. In in some ways, I I think I've I've lost some of that optimism and hope um, for um, what I want to do, um, even while I'm doing it. So maybe I'm, um, uh, you know, I can be a little self sabotaging in that way. Can, um, but can you unpack yeah. that? Like, what is it that you want to do? Make is it that you've lost the optimism yeah. that you'll get to make things? Yes. Because um, of like the development world and how they're not buying anything or making anything? Yeah. And um getting out of the traditional realm of selling something. Um Yeah. And and, and potentially starring in something. But because I want to do it for me, not because I'm like, oh, this is gonna blow me up and uh, you know, I, I just really truly want an audience on my own who know me from me as opposed to me 
being after whatever I'm a part of. And that's why I love to play because I feel like I had so much freedom to be myself and freedom. Freedom is my drink of choice. I love yeah. being uh, creative and, and, and uh, you know, it feels blanket, but I, I think I've done enough to, to earn it. And I, I truly believe my weirdness is my superpower because I don't have to fucking compete with anybody. I don't want to compete with yeah. you niggas. I don't want to compete with right. people. Like art is not supposed to be competitive. And I feel like I've gotten in this business and more people are competitive and I get it to a certain degree, but it truly is just, I'll just say it's not for me. Like, cool. Do you, but it just, it makes me sad. Um, and, and, and I see how, what it can potentially do to people's creative spirits. Um, and you know, I, I've gotten in the mix of it and, I, and it's definitely, you know, tamp down my creative spirit. And you, I think that when I remember myself, it, it helps me because you can't compete with weird, you know, weird right. is just try to be like other things. It can't be typified. It can't be anything but itself. And I think my shit is novel and varied. The things I've done are so vastly different from each other that I know when I have ideas and something uh, really resonates with people that'll catch on and I've yet to really truly do that again but uh, you know I have a couple of things I'm, I'm truly excited about that are around the same theme but are so vastly different that you know yeah I, I hope that people connect with it. I can you know start to find my audience so I can start plugging in and doing doing some of my own things You've said several things that I think uh, are really hitting the nail. You know, first of all, you talked about how you don't compete, which I think is really smart. I think it's I think you're completely right that who you are and what you do is your gold. Like that is your you know, it's everything. And it's it's something that nobody can take away from you. Um, But you also talked about uh, fear. And um, I'm wondering, what is it? that you're afraid of when it comes to creating? Mm, what am I afraid of when it comes to creating? Mm, I don't know. It's, well, I guess that it just won't, I guess, resonate with people. But mm. I think it's yeah. more important for me to express myself. I think, I think it's less what I'm afraid of creating and more like what I'm afraid of even starting, right? Yeah. Um, and, and remembering the process, because I've there there are truly things that I do that I've done creatively, even like last year during the double strike that I you know developed on, and or you know real or I actually did where I'm just like I remember the, the the time when I started, and I'm like wow I really did that like I did this um I did this uh, short doc about my vasectomy that I got last summer. Yeah. Um, called Father mm-hmm. of None. And uh, it's really crazy. It's it's weird and it's under 10 minutes and it's really good. And I, I had a blast doing it. And you know, Where is it? Where can people watch it? Um, It'll probably be up in the spring, maybe summer. I want to try and um, truly have like a, a rollout for it. I have a friend who says he's going to try to 
see if you can't get me on Club Shay Shay. Um, I, I, that would be a dream opportunity. Only because, like, I feel like having me on there and me talking about vasectomies and having this documentary, something I'm talking about and plugging, is such good counter-programming for, like, a hyper-masculine show like that. Um, Interesting. Like, it feels like it doesn't make sense or fit, but it actually, that's what makes it make the most sense. Um, is and, your is your vasectomy something that you did, like, with a feminist lens to it? Or... No. Because... Because I don't necessarily all. think of vasectomies as like uh I did it know, for men. Anti masculine. Okay. No, it's not anti masculine. <laughs> it's just counter programming. Yeah. Mm. To me. It's not the narrative of something typically young black men who've never had children and, and aren't married don't like typically talk about. Um and That's especially true. not in the way that I'm gonna talk about it. And uh it's it's really it's really different. It's really something. And, um, all right. Yeah. Yeah. Hmm? The actual, can you talk about it at all? Like the actual, I guess, actual lens doc. that you come at vasectomy? Yeah. Well, or the actual doc? Yeah. It basically, I, I, it starts off with me at the doctor's office asking questions. It starts off with a piece of the surgery. You see it just a little bit, and then it's off to basically, I mean, it was a five to ten minute surgery. I'm hanging out with my, my boy, um, the very funny Rob Hayes. We go get food, and then I go talk to some more friends about vasectomy, and they're asking me questions and stuff. And then basically, I just, uh, this is at the point, the midpoint of the doc is also when I was in the process of it, when I was talking to my director, uh, the talented Mickey Leaper, I was like, how do I create tension? I was like, I need, I need some more tension. And we kind of devised this cause you know, he worked on jury duty and we devised a kind of mm -hmm. reality show type segment. We got a producer to get five random men, one white man, two black men, a Hispanic man and a Asian man and asked them, what they thought about vasectomy, masculinity, and then basically created like this, used a, a stock image of this white man that was kind of a stand-in for me and being like, this man got a vasectomy, should he? And they're like, no, don't do it. No, I was like, talk to him like he's this chair. They're like, don't do it, buddy. Da, da, da. And then I was like, what if I told you I'm him? And then they're tuned completely... <laughs> got got much worse and they're like nigga what 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 are you doing that was terrible what the what the fuck my god jordan then, what made you decide to to document this i hate children no no but you don't, don't need to tell people about that i'm kidding i'm <laughs> kidding no i don't jordan let a kid no, that's not true. I I just um I just thought it would be good for posterity for myself and also because there's so much misinformation about it. And and misinformation I even had before I even did it. And um I you know it's it's comedic but it's also like part informational and also something I think is very heartfelt and weird and and interesting and no one else was doing it. 
And yeah. I'm like, I'm, I'm the only person who can do this like this. And I have the resources and let me do it. Also have, even though it's sub 10 minutes, I also have like a bunch of like unused footage. So once it's out and I have the trailer out and everything, I'm going to also post for like three months, like 40 to 50, you know, one to two minute videos that there are other Very conversations dope. happening in it between the men's group and my friends and me talking to my buddies about our fathers and different things like that and fatherhood in general. So um, I, th I think that is something that, you know, I I'm talking to men and I'm being okay with knowing like that's part of my audience and that's who I want to talk to. So many people, you know, they have their audience and, you know, they're, they're very resolute on, you know, Greta Gerwig. She even said that she's like, I write movies for women. I, you know, yeah. I make stuff for women. You know, that's, that's my audience. And that's how I feel too. I'm like, this is counter programming. And, and, and part of the brand I, I want to engender is like, I have counter programming for weirdos and everyone alike, but I'm in, in, in this especially I'm trying, I'm talking to men and that's okay. And especially black men. Um, and that's okay. And, and black men of a certain age and black men of a certain age who, uh, maybe don't like the shit that they're seeing, don't like the programming and you know what I mean? that they're, you know, being told that they should like that they're not a monolith, you know what I mean? And, and want to be challenged, but they also want to laugh and they want to want, you know, to have some thing to think about. I think it's totally okay to have a very specific audience that you're talking to. Whenever I'm making something, I'm always the audience. Uh, the audience is me. And that's, and I just trust that, that if I'm talking to myself, if this is something that's appealing to me, because I don't feel like I really know how to make things for other people. If that, like even this podcast is essentially something that I wanted to see. So I made it. But um, yeah. You you were talking earlier uh, about, you know, being in a writer's room and how that kind of takes away from being able to create your own work, which is totally true and something that a lot of writers struggle with is, you know, continuing to express themselves once they're basically expressing for a living. You know what I mean? What was I going to say? Express um, for a living. Like, how does it take away from me being able to express myself? Um, I literally forgot like what I was going to say, but yeah. How does it like, in or the here's what I was going to ask. I'm, like, yeah. are you, I remember, um, how are you like, are you trying to like, like you did this doc now? Like, are you trying? Cause what I had to do basically was like decide that every year I'm going to make something of my own. Um, right. which is what I had to figure out was, was something that was missing was like this, this self-expression was missing. So have you come up, is this something that you're going to, because you talk about having a brand now that and wanting to build an audience. Is this something that you're, you've committed to now to like make your own thing consistently? Yeah. And to keep developing the thing that I have, like uh, this, you know, father of none is one of them. I want to, hopefully when I really get some 
like a bit of a podcast push if I put it out or, you know, there's some bigger podcasts I can, I can do. And, you know, starting with this, this is like, cause I almost never do podcasts. So this is like a good, you shouldn't, you shouldn't. The bill. <laughs> no, no, I should. No, this is uh, I should do things. I don't, I don't actually, I don't want to do. That's what I'm actually trying to train myself more to do. Um, I think it's good for me. Um, and so, yeah, I'm, I'm doing that. Uh, you know, I have a sweet Lorraine, which is my, my grandma's show, which is much more developed than it's ever been. I did it at New York comedy festival with like a hundred plus and it feels so lived in and real and it's so cathartic and, and, and experimental and weird and heartfelt and all the things that I think I embody as a person, as an artist, as just a human being. And so I think that they, they're almost in the conversation with each other. So one is about family and, and the love of my grandmother and her life and her legacy and my place in it and how basically how when you're watching me, you're also experiencing her. And then the other yeah. is how I, and, and family, and, and the other is how I've chosen not to have a family. And, you know, father of none. So they're kind of, they're very wildly different, varied, and also novel, but also have similar themes in a way. So um, I think starting off with those and developing them, as well as like, I'd like to have a podcast and thinking about the overarching story that I'm telling about myself, whether I'm, you know, doing something seemingly every day or not, you know, I'm still like going to work. There's different things. It's still like the beginning of the year. I feel like I had a good year last year and pushing out my own stuff because I had some time and, and, you know, you know, think, thinking in different ways, how I can grow the audience and, you know, growing father of none and then having a way, you know, hopefully if it gets some traction and redirect people to the live show can be like, look, this is like, this is different than that, but you can still see more of me. I'm setting people up to experience me as someone who they can be a fan of, who they'll know. And I am kind of training them that, you know, it'll be experimental. It'll be weird. It'll be different, but you know, you get to, be a part of the experience you know so is this gonna I'm... be on youtube this uh father of none um at some point i'll just want to slap it up there without any serious um promotional push and that's why yeah you know i'm hoping i can um get on a big podcast or a club shay shay or some shit like that you know what i mean that would be huge. Yeah. You're very dope, Jordan. And um, hey, I'm very excited you. to see what you're doing. I'm sad to hear that you've lost your uh, optimism, but I feel like so many of us do. <laughs> like most of us hardly get to make the things that we sell or pitch or whatever. Um, right. Is there anything you would say to like six years ago, Jordan, with what you know now, knowing what you know now? Mm. What would I say to Jordy? I would say don't be fixated on how you're gonna accomplish something. Or don't rather don't be don't be fixated on um on an end goal 
like, oh, so-and-so will see this, and oh, man, that would be great, and oh, I hope, you know, this happens, because then this will happen. Like, don't be expecting or think about outcomes. Think about the psychological benefit of using your creative mind to make something with your hard work and your imagination and and, and how good that felt when you did Hidden Fences. Because the the harder you you think about it and and give yourself time and kind of develop, the the more you'll be able to surprise yourself. Um, I think that I've there's some things, you know, that definitely discouraged me, um, more in my personal life than in the business, that kind of you know can hurt. Maybe your 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 sense of self, not 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 even self esteem, but like your creative vision, and 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 be like, man, you know, uh, I wish this person was here to encourage me here, or you know, I wish I had a mentor or older, you know, black person to kind of lead me. But like, I can kind of. Even if I don't have that, or I wish I had that sometimes, I, I've learned how to be that to myself and encourage myself and talk nicer to myself, um, soothe myself, spend time with myself, reflect on myself, laugh at myself, cry with myself, love myself, like myself. There's a lot of the work I do is, uh, self-discovery i don't think there's any knowledge more important than self-knowledge and that's the thing that in the through line i think you know i would tell me to keep doing i think i think myself um and not an egotistical narcissistic way is the best way to understand my art and try to build myself up so that i can um you know, with 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 hard work, um, continue to surprise and 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 challenge the idea of who I am completely. Damn, damn, Jordan. All right, I feel like on that note, gotta, that's the clip you gotta use. <laughs> yeah, that was hard. on that note, that was on point. Thank you, Jordan Temple. Thank you, Charlotte Lauriston. What a wonderful episode with Jordan Temple. Such a creative person, such a wonderful mind, such an interesting human being. I got so much out of the episode. I really hope you did too. Before I leave, I do want you to know that I am having a live virtual networking workshop in Mixer on Zoom, February 21 at 5 p.m. PST. We're going to be doing icebreakers to help you come out of your shell. We're going to be doing small group breakout rooms so that you can connect individually one-on-one with other writers 
in a real genuine way. And of course, I'm going to be teaching, I'm going to be doing a workshop about how to actually network for real. So if, some, if you're someone who doesn't have a network, if you're someone who's really introverted when it comes to networking or just thinks networking is insane, that it's just like nuts and slimy or whatever it is that you make assumptions about what networking are is, you know, eliminate all of your assumptions, come to this networking workshop and learn what it's like for real to really build a network with intention. Um, the link will be down in the description below. That's all I got for you guys today. Until next time, bro, get out there, get to work.